I love when Terry prays. Uh, I love praying with Terry. Uh, the elders of our church have a, all three of them, uh, really real, rich relationships with God, and I'm just very thankful for that. Uh, I'm reminded of that every time I hear them pray or just like talk about Jesus, uh, whether here in meetings or just in life. So I'm really thankful for that, and y'all should be too. I need to address something. Um, my daughter is going to do everything she can to distract from the sermon today, and every sermon every day. So just do your best to uh, to ignore her. Um, she thrives off of the attention. It's not good for her. Uh, she's a lot like me in that way. So just do your best, ignore her, and she'll probably leave you alone. Okay. So now that we got that out of the way, we can move forward with this sermon. Um, forgive me if I've shared this story before. I think I have, but, um, yeah. So, it just pertains to what we're talking about today. Um, whenever me and Maritza first started dating, um, I was playing video games. We've been dating for about, like, maybe a week. And, uh, I was in my dorm room just playing games with my friends. And she called. And, you know, I was kind of doing this thing, like, you know, I just had my phone right here, and I was, you know, playing my game, and, um, you know, she could tell that I was a little distracted, uh, she could tell I wasn't very focused, and so, you know, she was like, is, is now a bad time? Uh, I was like, well, you know, n- not really, I mean, we're just playing, playing games, but I can talk, and she was like, okay, I'll talk to you later, she hung up, and later on, uh, she called me, and, and she was like, Hey, we can't, you know, you can't be playing video games whenever I'm trying to talk to you on the phone. Um, and I was like, okay, um, that's fine. I, I understand that. Uh, but how often do we need to talk on the phone? <laughs> so I can, like, schedule out, like, the other things that I got to do, like play games. Uh, how often do you want to talk on the phone? And um, that was a dumb question. Uh, <laughs> But the problem was is that I had the wrong expectations. Uh, Maritza had higher expectations of me than I had uh, of myself uh, for this relationship. And um, <clears throat> if y'all didn't know, the, the, an- the correct answer was more than what I thought. Okay, uh, So, guys, if you're single <clears throat> here today, that's, that's a good thing to remember. Um, your girlfriend's going to want to talk on the phone. And so... A lot of times it can be like that with our relationship with Jesus. Uh, if we don't get our expectations right, it kind of can cause you know, some problems in the relationship. Um, and oftentimes we find that Jesus' expectation of us are different than our own. Um, and so today we're going to just kind of be dealing with some of what Jesus' expectations are for us um, in this text today. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll dive into the rest of it. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this time. Uh, We thank you for how you've already been moving this morning in worship um, and through through our prayers. Uh, We pray that you would speak to us, open up our hearts to what you want to say, uh, what we need to hear. I pray that you would convict us where we need it. I pray that you would encourage us where we need it, Lord Jesus. And I pray that you would help me. Um, We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Well, uh, if you guys go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 17, that's where we're going to be today. Just a quick recap. Last week, we were in Matthew 17, the first half. Um, Before that, Terry talked to us about uh, Peter confessing Jesus as the Christ. Jesus turns around then and says, hey, just so you guys know, I'm going to uh, be killed and then be raised to life on the third day. Uh, And then after that, he talks about the cost of discipleship. And last week we talked about the transfiguration where Jesus goes up on the mountain and he starts shining like the sun and Moses and Elijah are there and God speaks out of the cloud and he tells all the guys, don't tell anybody what you have seen until after I rise from the dead. And that's where we are today. We're picking up where we left off. Um, Jesus is coming down the mountain from the transfiguration. There's like no time lapse between what happened last week and what we're talking about today. Uh, Jesus literally comes down the mountain And this is the first thing that he encounters. It says, When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus, this is verse 14, and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. The KJV says he is a lunatic. Uh, (laughs) I just thought that was funny. Uh, But he says, He has seizures and is suffering greatly, and he often falls into the fire and into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Okay, just pause right there real quick. Nothing too crazy about anything that was just said there. Am I right? He said, hey, my son is an epileptic and suffers from seizures. And your disciples disciples couldn't heal him. For most of us, hearing that news, we're going to be like, oh, shoot, that... That's a bummer. Like, that stinks. But we're not going to be surprised, right? Because it's not normal for humans to simply speak to diseases or to touch people who are sick and make it go away, right? And so we're, we hear that. We, we're not even surprised. We actually expect that that would be what happened. Like, most of us would be like, yeah, that's, that's what happens. Uh, people with epilepsies keep their epilepsy, you know? Uh, and so, but Jesus, listen to his reaction to what they say. Verse 17, said, Jesus, we, can't, we couldn't cast it out, or we couldn't heal, or uh, he couldn't be healed. Verse 17 says, you unbelieving and perverse generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Did anybody put that one on their refrigerator? Jesus, how long shall I put up with you? But that's what he says here. And I'm going to be honest, uh, the first time, and actually every time I think that I've read this passage, whenever I first found out that I'd be preaching this, I was like, ooh, I'd rather not. You know, I'd rather preach on, you know, come to me all you are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. You know, that's a good one. Uh, But this one, you wicked, perverse, unbelieving generation. That's not like the Jesus that we all really like. And honestly, I read that and I I think, Jesus, that's a bit of an overreaction. Here's what happened and here was your reaction. And I don't think they're really proportionate. I don't think it was fair. Does anybody, has anybody, be honest, like have you ever, do you read that and think, that's, that's just, okay, it might just be me. But that's how I felt whenever I read this. I'm like, Jesus is being a little harsh on his disciples. And so, 
Before I go on and, talk and try to explain it at all, here's one thing that's really important for all of us to remember whenever we read the Bible and Jesus says something or God says something that we disagree with. He's right and I'm wrong. Okay, so whenever you read that, whenever I read that and I go, ooh, Jesus, that was like a little too much. No, I'm a little too little. <laughs> that didn't sound right. That was just the story of my life right there. But Jesus is right and I'm wrong, okay? And instead of what I, most of us aren't like, most of us aren't going to say, well, I think I'm right and I think Jesus is wrong. Most of us who believe the Bible and we're Christians and we love God, we're not going to say, I'm right, Jesus is wrong. But what we will do a lot of the times is, hmm, I don't really like that, I don't really get that. And then we turn the page and we just keep on reading and we just don't really deal with it, right? But it needs to be dealt with. We need to, instead of being like, okay, uh, just ignore it and hope it really doesn't come up or hope it doesn't really have any kind of uh, significance for my life, we need to stop and say, okay, Jesus, I believe you're right and I believe I'm wrong. Would you transform me? Maybe I need, I need to be more like you in this way. You don't need to be more like me. I need to be more like you. I'm not going to try to change you into my image. I need you to transform me into your image. You don't need to come to my way of thinking. I need to come to your way of thinking. And this is so important for all of us whenever we read the Bible that it actually changes us, that it actually ha makes a difference in our lives. And unless you read the Bible in that way and unless you understand Jesus in that way, you'll never change. We have to come to these places where Jesus is different from us and we have to see him as right. And we have to see that difference between us and we have to say, I got to change, I got to move, okay? Okay, there we go. So, uh, this is what Jesus does. He says, bring the boy here to me. Verse 18. Jesus rebukes the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Now, this is another thing um, that's interesting, and I just want to put, say just a quick side note. This isn't going to be like a main point or anything, but did you notice something different here? The disciples came and said, the father came and said, hey, I have a boy who has seizures and he suffers greatly and he falls into, he falls into stuff. But Jesus, and, the, and he said, your disciples couldn't heal him, but Jesus comes up and, it, and then it says, and then Jesus cast out the demon. I don't know if they were even aware that this was a demon that was causing these things to happen to the boy. And here's something that I want to, I want to point out, um, is that demons are real, okay? Um, I don't remember the statistic exactly, but um, somebody came and talked to our prayer team last uh, two weeks ago or whatever, um, and he said, he gave some, I'm not going to even try to give a statistic because I'll be wrong, but a majority of Christians, Bible-believing Christians, don't even believe in personal evil anymore. Say so that I believe the Bible, but I don't believe in a devil, I don't believe in demons, I don't believe in a personalized evil. And that is exactly how the devil likes it. Okay? Just like in this story, this is actually a really great illustration of how the devil works, is he is causing havoc, and he's wrecking things in people's lives and tormenting people, and he wants us to blame it on something else. We, he doesn't want us to see him. Okay? And here is why. The devil doesn't just come out and say, hey guys, I'm the devil, I hate you and I want to kill you, I want you to go to hell, I want to ruin your life, I'm here to steal, kill, and destroy, that's me. 
He doesn't do that because most people know if they see the devil, they're going to know there's probably a God. If there is ultimate evil in the world, there's probably an ultimate good. And so Satan doesn't just come out and say, here I am. He tries his best to hurt people and afflict and torment as much as he can without being noticed. And then whenever he does get noticed, he tries to be as freaky and weird and uh, scary as he possibly can be in order to hope that maybe that will throw us off of him. But this, this is something that just needs to be talked about because as we're going through the book of Matthew, we're going to run into demons a lot. And what happens whenever we are following Jesus, we may run into a demon every now and then, okay? And it's important that we know how to deal with them. And I think a big problem in the church today is that most of us don't believe in demons, and so they just kind of get to do whatever they want. I don't remember who said this before, it was some evangelist, but... Uh, you know, he went to some church and, you know, something happened where some person came up and they had something wrong with them. And the guy prayed and he, he cast out a demon. He said, you know, I command you to leave, Jesus' name, whatever. Something where he obviously was talking to a demon. It, it was cast out. It left. The person was fine. And somebody came up to him afterwards and he's like, uh, hey, um, we don't cast out demons here. And, and he said, did you want me to just leave him there? But unfortunately, that's really what a lot of the church has done. And not everything is a demon. Not every sickness is a demon. Not every problem, not every mental problem is a demon. But we have to notice in the Bible that some of them are there. I want you all to know, we didn't just get smarter than demons. We didn't go, oh, you know what? Well, we found out it's actually just this, this, and this. I think that they're there, okay? I think that the Bible is right. There's another thing. The Bible's right, and those of us who say that it's not there, we're wrong, okay? And so we are going to come, if we are doing kingdom work, and if we are really helping people, if we're really bringing Jesus into this world, we are going to come across a demon every now and then, and I just want us all to be ready for that, okay? And it might be weird, and it might be freaky, but that's what they want. They want it to be weird. They want it to be uncomfortable so that we won't address them ever again, okay? But if it's up to me, then I don't care. I just want to see people get healed, and I want to see people get free. I don't care if it gets a little bit weird along the way. It got weird for Jesus, and he didn't seem to care. Okay? That's my side note that I didn't say was the main point, but it did take 10 minutes. <clears throat> so Jesus cast out the demon, and it's gone, okay? Now... <clears throat> The disciples come up to Jesus, it says, in private. I like that. Uh, They came up to him in private, and this is uh, verse 19, and they say, why couldn't we drive it out? Okay. Now, remember, Jesus got very upset whenever whenever the guys did not drive out this demon. And this was his response. He says, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, if you have faith this big, if you have faith this big, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. I love how nobody like, gets excited about that, and nobody claps and stuff, because we're thinking the same thing probably the disciples were. This is not so encouraging, because it's actually a little bit daunting. This is actually a scary thing for Jesus to tell us this. 
We're not like, all right, let's go move some mountains. We're like, oh, shoot, I'm sp- I can move mountains. This is a big deal for them. Let me tell you why Jesus got so upset at the disciples earlier. Do you want to know why? This is why. This is something that happened uh, a little bit earlier. Matthew 10, when he first sends out all the disciples to go out and work on their own, he says, he called to them, his 12 disciples, and gave them authority over unclean spirits, that's demons, to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Now, it starts to become a little bit more understandable as to why Jesus would be upset, because it didn't say that he gave them authority to cast out some sickness or some affliction, said to heal every disease and every affliction. And this epileptic boy with the demon was no exception. And now they come and they find out not only this, but Jesus tells them, hey, this is a small thing for you to do. Actually, if you have faith this big, you can say to that, move, that mountain, move from here and go over there. You can move that mountain and nothing will be impossible for you. And this was news to them. Now, here's, here's what I want to say about this. The reason that Jesus got so upset earlier, the reason that he was, you wicked and perverse generation, because following Jesus comes with great expectation, but not for no reason. It says, following Jesus comes with great expectation because following Jesus comes with great power. Jesus wouldn't be upset at us if we couldn't mow the lawn when he gives us a pair of scissors he wouldn't be upset at us for that. But if he gives us a big old John Deere riding lawnmower to go out there and mow the lawn, then he's going to be a little confused as to why we didn't go and do it. And that's what's happening here. Jesus is not unfair. Jesus is not a bad teacher. God is not a bad father. His expectations are just lining up with the power that's been given. And this is so important for us to understand because I can't help but wonder, does Jesus maybe look at the church today, and maybe he's a little frustrated. Do you think maybe he's sitting back and being like, well, here, let me just show you this. Well, that was the apostles. Well, that was Jesus. Well, this is you. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. This is our Celebrate Jesus passage. For God gave us A spirit not of fear, but of what? Of power and love and self-control. How many, I want to back up just a little bit. When you think about things that Jesus does for you, somebody comes up to to you at work and is like, hey, what's, what's Jesus all about? What is this Christianity thing all about? What's the first thing that you tell them? You might tell them peace, you know, I just feel peace. Or there's a joy that's, you know, I got, I got this deep joy that he gives me in my heart. Do you ever just say, like, well, he gives me a lot of power? That sounds wrong. That sounds not humble. It actually almost, like, sounds heretical in the way that we've all grown up in church. But it's, it's right there. He's given you a spirit of power. Do you know that? I got one more. Ephesians 1, Paul is talking to the church, and he says, this, this is what I want you to get, church. This is what I pray that God reveals to you. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, 
And this is the other thing that he wants, your eyes to be enlightened. This is what, God, this is what Paul wants you to know. He says, I want you to know of his incomparably great power for us who believe. And listen to what power he's talking about. He says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Here's the deal. The apostles and Jesus didn't get, like, the Holy Spirit, and we get the junior Holy Spirit. Like, this Holy Spirit does signs and wonders and casts out demons and moves mountains, and ours, you know, makes us reasonably happy every now and then. Same Holy Spirit, same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And Paul's prayer for the church was that we would know that. Apparently he knew that things, spiritual forces, religion, whatever it is, is going to come against that revelation. He knew that the devil doesn't want you to know this. The devil doesn't want you to know that you have power. Here is why... Here's the big deal, is that if you grew up in religion, if you grew up, I say religion as in like bad religion that twists the gospel and, and waters it down. Jesus talks about good, there's also good religion in the Bible, but I'm talking about the stuff that is bad. If you grew up in that, if you were like me, a lot of times the expectations were lowered, okay? The expectations were lowered from what we're talking about here because they believed that the power was lowered. A lot of the preaching that I heard when I grew up was stuff like, you need to try to be good, but you're not going to be able to be that good, so, you know, just because you're a sinner and because of your flesh and stuff like that, so just, you know, do your best, but you're not going to do that great, so we're not going to expect too much of you. And we're just going to wait till Jesus comes back, all right? Or they would say, hey, you should pray. Jesus said to pray. The Bible says to pray. But don't expect anything to happen. Because Jesus doesn't do that anymore. He doesn't cast out demons. He doesn't make people better. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't help people overcome temptation. He doesn't do that anymore. Whenever we lower the power, we lower the expectation. And that's why I'm saying maybe Jesus is a little frustrated with us as a church today. I'm not saying he doesn't love us. I'm not saying that, you know, there's something horribly wrong and he's abandoned us, he's left us, he still loves us, he's here. But do you think maybe he's a little frustrated because our expectations of ourselves are not lining up with his? Because our understanding of the power that he gave, we've forgotten about it. I know this is overwhelming stuff. I know that we're sitting here and we're like, well, what does that mean for us? I think that Jesus is probably a little bit more patient with us, knowing where we came from, knowing the teaching that we've grown up with. I think he was able to be a little bit more upset with the apostles because they've literally been doing it and they walked with him. I think Jesus meets us where we're at. But I'm telling you that there's more. And I'm not, talk, I'm not saying, hey, let's all go to the hospital after this and let's go find the oncology ward and let's go pray for all the people who have cancer and find the guy who got his legs blown off in Afghanistan and go pray for his legs to come back and stuff. Let's not start there maybe. But let's pray for somebody to be healed. Whenever somebody's sick in our church, let's actually go up to them and tell ourselves, you know what, I haven't believed this before. I still am not like, I don't even know if I have this much faith, but Jesus said that nothing will be impossible for me, so I'm just going to do it. 
And maybe we'll look dumb. And maybe it won't even happen uh, the first time that we try it. But let's just take Jesus at his word and try this. Let's try to believe that there is nothing that would be impossible for us. That there is real power in this. Because that's the gospel. That's what Jesus died for. Is a real faith with real power. All right, well, I got two minutes for the rest of my sermon, so um, we should probably keep moving. (laughs) Jesus goes on um, in verse 22, and they've moved on from the, the foot of the mountain, and they've come together in Galilee. And Jesus says to them again, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he'll be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. I'm not really going to talk about this today, but um, just the fact that we're going through Matthew all together, it's important to mention that Jesus, for the second time, is uh, predicting his death. Okay, So just keep that in your brains. That's going to come up again later in another sermon. Now, though, we're going to get to my favorite Jesus story probably in the whole Bible. I love this story, okay, because this is awesome. Uh, this is good entertainment. Okay, I hope that uh, The Chosen does an episode uh, with this in it. Um, It says, After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, Does your teacher pay the temple tax? And just a little bit of background on this. Like, the temple tax uh, was something that they paid in order to, you know, keep up with the temple and, you know, take care of the priests and all this good stuff. Um, and it was actually, like, not, it was a non-compulsory tax. Like, you didn't have to pay it, uh, which is my favorite kind of tax. Uh, but you didn't actually have to pay this tax. But it became kind of this thing, since it was non-compulsory, it became good Jews pay this tax and bad Jews don't pay this tax. And so they come up, and in the Greek, it's actually expecting a positive response. They come up and they're saying, your teacher pays the temple tax, doesn't he? And so Peter goes to Jesus, and uh, I love this, says, And Jesus spoke first, and he says, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes, from their own children or from others? And Peter said, From others. Are you guys kind of figuring out the connection that Jesus is talking about here? Jesus is saying, you know, he's talking about kings because he's talking about God, his father, is the king. We're talking about this temple that is supposed to be um, God's dwelling place um, in their minds. And so he's saying, would God, do kings charge their own children? He said, we're, we're the sons of God, you and me, Peter. Uh, does God charge taxes on us? No, he's going to charge it from others. And so basically what he's saying is we don't have to pay this. You and me are exempt. But he goes on in uh, <clears throat> verse 27. It says, then the children are exempt. But, so that we may not cause offense, and I love that because Jesus rarely cares about causing offense. He'll offend religious leaders and he'll offend political leaders who literally are about to make a decision whether or not they're going to put him to death. But the tax collector comes in, the scum of their day, and he's like, oh, I don't want to make them feel bad. I love Jesus because he's like so different than us. Um, he says, so that we do not cause offense. Now, Listen to this. He says, Go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find 
a stater, a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. That's a crazy story. I imagine Peter's like, Jesus is describing this, and he's like, all right, so we're not going to cause offense. Peter's like, okay, so we're going to pay the tax. And he's like, go grab your fishing pole. He's like, oh, okay, well, I guess we're going to go catch some fish and sell it and pay the tax. And he's like, you're going to catch a fish, and there's going to be money inside. I imagine at this point, Peter's like, what? And I imagine at every point after this, every time Peter goes fishing, he's probably going to be like, Checking in there, like, what are you doing? Like, oh, nothing, you know. uh. But that's a crazy story. I love that story because it's so entertaining to me that Jesus, you never know what Jesus is going to do. Because, like, like take, like, blind people, for example. In the Bible, he'll either come up to them and say, be healed, and it goes away. Or he'll spit in their eye. You And, like, right here, you know, Jesus might get money from some, from just a donor, or He'll grab a fish and look inside for money. This is Jesus. There's like no formulas with him. Uh, he just, he's Jesus and he's free and he does what he wants. And it's just always entertaining to watch. But more than this just being entertaining, I hope that it is encouraging to you. Is, did you like immediately feel that? Do you feel that whenever you read this story? Do you feel encouraged by that? I'm encouraged by that. And this is why. Because Jesus never worried about money. You can never see him ever worried about money in the Bible. There's not even like a hint of it. And this is why. Who worries about money when they know that they can pull a dollar out of the mouth of a trout? I don't know what the marine life was like in the Sea of Galilee. It probably wasn't a trout. But he lived in this constant expectation that my needs are going to be met because my father is insanely wealthy and extravagantly generous. And so he's like, there's no way that he would ever leave me in need. And so whenever the need arose, and so we talk about how Jesus was poor and homeless. Yeah, he was, but he also, you know, could just, he was following the Lord and walking in his will. And so the Lord would just provide all the time. And he just got used to that. And we have to get that too. You have to understand that. If you don't get this, if you don't go throughout your every day thinking, my God can make money come out of the mouth of a fish. You will not be able to live the life that he has called you to do with your life and with your money. You're going to worry about not having enough money. Or, maybe even worse than that, you're going to feel secure when you have a lot of it. Look at this. <clears throat> this is like such a, good, such a good passage. This is 1 Timothy 6. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world which is most of us, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Do you see what that says right there? It says, don't put your hope in wealth. Why? Because it's uncertain. It's not worthy of your hope. It can't stand up under the weight of your hope. It will fail you. But he says, do put your hope in God, which is not uncertain and can fully handle the weight of your hope and your expectation. What this means is we should not get upset or worried or scared whenever we have less money. 
we should not feel more secure or happier whenever we have more of it. This is such a foreign thing to us. I want to tell you all a story. Uh, it's, it's that time of year. And so last week I found myself um, with my friend Margaret at H&R Block. And we were doing my taxes. You see, last year, uh, I used to do my taxes on my own. Uh, but last year, uh, you know, we just, me and Maritza, you know, we just, our assets and our uh, diversified portfolio and uh, all of our income streams. I don't even know financial words. I just tried to. Uh, I don't, I'm bad at math. And so that's why we went to H&R Block. Because I'm scared of being audited. But anyway, so last year was the first time I went to go to uh, have somebody do our taxes for us, and uh, Margaret was helping us out, and I found out um, that we owed like $1,000 to the IRS. How do you think I felt whenever they gave me that news? I was perfectly fine. I don't worry about money because God is good, and he is faithful. And he can make, I'm, no, I was sad. I was upset about that. It, it ruined the rest of my day, finding it, because we probably would have used that for something fun. Uh, so I was upset whenever that happened. But this year, I went in to go see Margaret again. And this year, we had a baby. Okay? And so this year, Margaret told us that the IRS is giving us money back. And let me tell you, I was much happier walking out this year than I was last year. Let me tell you, that's wrong. This is a silly example. I mean, like, I'm not going to be, I'm not, we're not expecting anybody to go and be like, yes, pay in the IRS this year. You know, it's fun to get money, okay? Like, we can agree on that. But what I'm talking about, bigger picture here, it does not matter how much money you have. It does not matter when you check your bank account, really. And I'm talking about, there's an if here. Jesus said, if you seek first the kingdom and, and his righteousness, all the rest of the stuff is going to be provided. This is really important because as Christians, I'm going to butcher this quote, but as Christians, you don't worry. We don't look at the glass, whether it's full or whether it's empty, when it comes to finances and things that we need because we're sitting underneath the faucet. doesn't matter. I'm not going to be like, oh man, I'm going to be really thirsty because the, the glass is really low. It's sitting under the faucet. The faucet's going to give more. The faucet is an endless supply. And that's how it is as a Christian. If you are walking with the Lord and you are seeking to follow him with your life, with your money, with your everything, there is no limit onto what he'll provide for you. I'm not talking about God making everybody extremely extravagantly wealthy and giving you all the vacations and houses and cars that you dream of. But you're going to be okay. He's going to take care of you. He's going to be good. He's going to provide because he is extravagantly wealthy and extremely generous. And so how much is in your bank account is no indicator of whether or not you're going to be okay. And we have to get this. I want to share with you um, one more quote. <clears throat> uh, I've talked about George Mueller a few times here uh, because I love him. Uh, he was a guy in the 1800s who felt led to start an orphanage in uh, Great Britain. And what he, but he wanted to do it a little bit differently than other people had done it in the past. He was going to do it uh, without working for 
or asking for any money. He was just going to do the work, and he was going to get the orphans, and he was just going to ask the Lord to provide for everything. And, you know, I'm going to not go too deep into this because I've talked about it before. But the Lord provided everything, every time. He ended up, he started off with one orphanage, then two, then three, and he ended up feeding and taking care of and loving thousands of orphans over the course of his ministry. And he never asked anyone for a dime or told anyone about his needs. The Lord just provided everything. And there's tons of really cool, miraculous stories. But I went to go find a story for this illustration, but I actually found a quote that I liked better. This was somebody talking about George Mueller. And this is, I think, the ideal for all of us. And this is what I think the Lord's will is for all of us. And I hope that our church could be described this way. It said, Mr. Mueller began his work in such a manner that aid could not be expected from anyone but God. He did not, of course, expect God to create gold and silver and put them into his hands. Now, I think this guy probably didn't read the fish story. But he knew that God could incline the hearts of men to aid him, and he believed that if the work was of him, he would meet every need. Thus, in childlike simplicity, he looked to God and all that he needed was furnished as punctually as if he were a millionaire drawing regularly on his bank account. And I think that's the ideal. We are living with God as our generous, extravagantly wealthy father who wants to meet the needs of those around us in the ministry, in the church, doing his kingdom work more than we do. We have to get this or else we will not feel free to be extravagantly generous. If you think that all the money that I have is right here in my bank account, I'm not going to be able to give to this person because then I won't have. But if you believe that God can make, take money out of the mouth of a fish, you will feel safe to be generous. You will feel safe to leave your lucrative job to follow the call of God that he's put on your life if he calls you to do that. We have to believe that God is able to do these things and he will richly provide for his children. So Jesus has got a lot of great expectations. They're big. But that's because there's great power in this and there's great provision in this. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would grow our faith. I don't think anybody here in this room feels like we're like completely there and completely believing all of this all the time. But Jesus, we ask that you would increase our faith. Give us trust that you provide and that you empower for your work. We need you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.